All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan Monk, and let me introduce, that's my daughter, uh, Lydia Amy Monk. So she's our oldest. Uh, Thursday night, this was a total surprise. I didn't even know that the video was being played, and I was about to introduce myself, and I was like, wait, what, Lydia, what are you doing up here? So it was a total surprise, but uh, really grateful for the staff member who put that uh, together. So my wife uh, interviewed Lydia. So Alice and I, we have three kids. Lydia is five, and then we have Chloe is three, and then Asher, our youngest, is is one, and so really uh, grateful uh, for that. Um, one of the things I want to do to start is I want to brag on. I think they just stepped out, but uh, two of the girls that were just up here uh, leading us in worship. So Rose, right here, she sang the song uh, "Goodness of God All My Life." You have been faithful. Yeah, give her a hand. She's great. And then, <clears throat> and then Lauren Lauren Conover is right over here. So Lauren's a senior. Rose is a junior. Really grateful for those uh, girls. They're in our high school ministry. And on most Wednesday night, one of them or both of them are leading us in, in worship. And they're a, they're a huge blessing. One of the things I appreciate about them as I've gotten to know them is that when they lead us in songs, they really believe that the, the words that they're singing. You know, they're not just up here singing, but they really believe all my life he has been faithful. He's, he's good. And uh, if Allison were here, she would probably speak to how Lauren and Rose have been a blessing to us as, as babysitters. So, so both of those girls have babysat for us and really grateful for how uh, they love my, my kids well. In fact, as I, as I think about uh, Rose and Lauren, I would love for, you know, you just saw Lydia, I would love for Lydia uh, to love Jesus the way that those two girls do. They're just such, a, such an encouragement to me. As I think about Rose and Lauren and several other high school students that we have here, I think they're great examples uh, of what it looks like to be, to be a spirit-filled student or a spirit-filled child. So uh, that's a great kind of time where I want to take us now in Ephesians 6. We're removing from marriage to family to look at uh, the spirit-filled child. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there to Ephesians 6. But uh, as you're turning to Ephesians 6, I want to go back to real quick to Ephesians 5, where we've started this spirit-filled series, uh, looking at how the Holy Spirit is a person, uh, not a force or a energy, either have the Holy Spirit or you, or you don't. And uh, we've looked at, um, as, as Doug started this series a few weeks ago, that there's a great promise in Scripture, that when a person trusts in Christ and they receive salvation, right, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that when that happens, there's a promise. And the promise is that they will receive the Spirit. They're indwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, baptized by the Spirit. That's a promise. But then in Ephesians 5, where we started a few weeks ago, uh, there is a command. And and the, the, the series started with, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, it's not to be confused here. There's a promise, you'll, you'll receive the Spirit. That's happened. But then the command, be filled with the Spirit, is something that happens to you, and it's continual. So you see this, the illustration of the visual that Doug pours out the picture, that we want the Spirit of God who is in us to flow through us for what purpose? That is, the Spirit of God in me flows through me, that other people experience Christ in me. And in order for, for a person to experience the Christ through me, it starts with a submission to his word, that what he says in scripture, I don't want to quench the spirit, but I want to come under the word, and I want to be uh, submissive to what he has to say to me. Because any time, no matter what the topic is, that when you come to church on a Sunday morning, we recognize this about scripture, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, that the, that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired today than gold, even much fine gold and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Great reward in, this, in the sense of this series, spirit-filled, that I get the reward, the benefit of, of people experiencing the presence of Christ through me. I want him to flow through me so that people around me benefit. And the last two weeks, where we focused on is in marriage, the spirit-filled marriage, right? So we think about, I want to live under the word. So me, as Doug's teaching, I'm sitting right over here, and I hear husbands Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. I want to come under that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I want to submit to that because I want Allison to experience the presence of Christ through me, right? And so we looked last two weeks, spirit-filled marriage, the, the, both the roles of the husband and wife, and then the oneness of marriage, which was last week. And then now we're moving from marriage to uh, the family to specifically here of uh, the spirit-filled child. But first, uh, if you take a notion, you may want to write this down. We've defined the spirit-filled life is a life fully and completely submitted to his word so that, this is what we were just talking about, so that all he is in me fully and continually flows through me. So we're looking at a spirit-filled child. And a child, as Paul has in mind here in Ephesians 6, a child is one who is dependent on their parents. Pretty obvious. Uh, Dependent financially, food housing, dependent on them for a variety of reasons. So uh, as we start this message, when we talk about a dependent child, we're talking about a a little kid in kids' ministry that that might be in, in, uh, in Becky's ministry, all the way through a middle school, a high schooler, and even a college student if they're still dependent on their parents. We know that when Paul says child, he's talking about one being brought up because of verse four. This, this will be next week. This is parenting, but it's good to read it now. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. So he's talking about someone who's being brought up by their parents in the discipline and instruction um, of the Lord. Now, so talking about child or children, and you may be thinking, wait, why are we talking about this? Because as I look at our audience right now, most of you are not children. So why a message talking uh, to adults about children? Well, we will start with talking about the dependent children or dependent child, but all of us in this room are a son or daughter of somebody. So there's great implications for this passage. We will start with the specific stage of life of a dependent child, but then we'll move to adult children and then we'll see the implications for really for all of us. But first, let's look at the role. What's here? The first question. What's the role of a dependent child? You see it here in verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So in one word, what, what's, the, what's the word here for the uh, spirit-filled dependent child? Obey. A spirit-filled dependent child obeys his parents. They obey in words, attitudes, or actions. Why? Because their parents are perfect? No. 
The reasons for obedience is given right here at the end of verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right and a command, not a suggestion. So when a spirit-filled, dependent child, whether you're online watching or you're here in this room, that despite your frustrations of, oh man, my parents make me do this, or they say I can't date, or they only let me use my phone at certain times, or oh, they're so strict, they always make me do stuff around the house, or man, I don't agree with them, or my dad's awkward, or whatever, I don't, I don't wanna obey my parents. But despite a young child or high schooler's feelings of frustration, that when they obey their parents, they're coming under the word, and as a result, the spirit of God flowing through them Parents experience that and, and siblings and their obedience. But when, you, when, a, when someone disobeys and treat this as a, this clear command as a, as a suggestion, they move from being under the word to outside of the word. And what I tell our students a lot is joy is never found in, in disobedience to scripture. And this is just a great time. If you're in this room and you're a spirit-filled dependent child, and maybe in the last weekend, mom said, dad said to do something, and you said, no, I don't want to. It's a great opportunity right here at the beginning of this message for you just to acknowledge that. Acknowledge that to the Lord and to say, man, I know that I've been disobedient to my parents. Lord, would you change my heart? And to repent. Repentance, change of mind that leads to a change of action. Acknowledge it both to the Lord and to your parents and to say, I want to submit. I want to submit to your leadership. I want to submit to your leadership, mom and dad, because I recognize that I am to obey you because this is the kind of the next reason, is because parents are the primary ones to train the child up. That's verse four, what I just read a second ago. I think it's good for a spirit-filled dependent child, especially I think of like high schoolers who think they know everything, to acknowledge to their parents, okay, I don't know everything. Like I wanna learn from you, dad. I, there's something that you are, that I can, I, can learn, I can learn truth from you. And the parent here is gonna train them up in, in, in a lot of ways. Train them up to teach them truth versus lies. And I've been impressed by how many uh, middle school, high school students we have here that have the ability to think with a biblical perspective. They're able to ask questions and challenge me like, wait, where does it say that in scripture? And I'm like, oh, well, okay, I need to make sure that what I'm saying is grounded in scripture. Or they ask questions that they really wanna know, what does the scripture say about this topic? That is the result of a parent training them up in truth to help them discern truth versus lies. I think parents train up in teaching students, uh, think about a few weeks ago, psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs and how to have gratitude. So I didn't trust in Christ until much later in life, but my mom taught me Psalms. She would pray Psalm 23 all the time. And it didn't mean much to me, but later in my 20s and now in my 30s, I appreciate being trained up and being taught and heard and, and, and read Psalm 23 over and over again that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That he leads me beside green pastures. He leads me, he restores me. Like that Psalm didn't mean anything then, but it means a whole lot now. And I'm grateful for my mom because she trained me up. She taught me truth. I think parents teach the, their kids the scriptures, teaching them that throughout the Old Testament, especially that there's so many stories of foolishness to avoid and how even when one falls into foolishness, it's the parent's privilege to also teach how salvation is found and can be found by grace alone in Christ alone. And I've been also impressed that as I've talked to some of our students and I've asked them, Hey, when did you receive Christ? 
or who led you to Christ? And we get to ask questions like this, especially around power-up clubs as it gets close to the summer. I'm always impressed by how many of our students, basically this is their story, that they will say, it's my parents that led me to the Lord. It's my parents that share the gospel with me, and as a result, I trusted in Christ. And so for, for the spirit-filled, dependent child who's wrestling with obeying their parents, I would simply point them back to, look, here's perspective. Your parents shared the greatest life-changing truth with you. And as a result, you who once were deserving of hell, all right, turned and you placed your trust in Jesus and you've been forgiven and you've received the spirit of God. Man, that is an awesome thing. You can trust your parents' leadership. You can trust your parents' leadership. Now, I do recognize that not all our students have been led to the Lord by their parents. And so we could have a student, a spirit-filled dependent child who's grown up in a home and they're like, okay, I understand I'm supposed to obey my parents, but what if my parents aren't believers? Like my parents haven't led me to the Lord. My youth pastor led me to the Lord or my agape or Andreza led me to the Lord or someone at a retreat or a camp led me to the Lord. My parents aren't Christians. And so then I look back here at verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord. So does that mean that it, as long as your parents are believers, you obey, and if your parents aren't believers, you don't have to obey. I think, good to think through that for a second, but the in the Lord is ultimately, the obedience here is, is to the Lord, not just to the parents. And I think here, like in Colossians 3.20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So this may be difficult, but even for the, for the spirit-filled adult or dependent child, their obedience is ultimately to the Lord. And so when, they, when a child learns to obey his parents, he is learning to obey the Lord. Because ultimately, the obedience is unto the Lord. And obviously, the only exception to this is if a parent would, would command ungodly obedience. And to clarify, ungodly, ungodly obedience is not clean your room or get off your phone ungodly obedience, to be clear, is anything that goes against Scripture. And so we could have a spirit-filled, dependent child who may go, wait, I'm not being trained up in truth. My parents aren't teaching me truth. Yeah, but when you learn to obey your parents, you are learning how to apply truth. And that is huge for elementary school, middle school, high school, or college students. Yeah, maybe their parents aren't following Christ, but they have the opportunity to put Christ on display in the home and they're learning to apply truth. And here's what's so significant about Christian Family Chapel. And if you're new, man, this is what I think makes our church awesome. Is that in the case of a, a student whose parents aren't Christ followers and maybe they're not teaching them truth, there are people here and God puts people in people, uh, their life to teach them truth. Small group leaders that can come alongside and watch this, check this out. We have leaders that can help students and equip them to be instruments so that maybe one day their parents would actually be led to the Lord through them. I mean, how awesome would that be if the student had the opportunity to lead their student, their, lead their parents to Christ? And so I think it's significant here when we take a, a spirit-filled, dependent child that when they obey, I think there's a great um, impact that can happen both in the home whether they're believers or not, whether the parents are believers or not, but they also think they can have a great impact outside of the home, like with their friends. So in the case of a high schooler who's seeking to obey their parents and doing what the parents are asking them to do, even when it's difficult, and a friend of theirs says to them, hey, I thought you liked so-and-so. 
aren't you guys going to date? Like, oh, are you guys not dating? Do you not like them? I thought y'all were talking. And then for the high schooler to say, yeah, I did want to date them, but my parents have asked me not to date them or not to date right now. And then the stu- their friend says to them, what? Your parents don't know everything. Your parents are clueless. And then for the student to say, yeah, okay, maybe my parents don't know everything. But the Lord knows everything, and he's infinitely smarter than all of us. And he has instructed me to obey my parents. And out of love for him, because he loves me perfectly, my Lord loves me perfectly, the first place I live out my relationship with Jesus is with my parents. Not the last place, but the first place. I mean, think about how significant that is if a, if a high schooler student were to share that with a friend of theirs, that I, it's not, it's not always easy, it's hard, but I want to obey my parents because I'm seeking to live out my relationship with the Lord. Man, there, there's great opportunities there for the gospel. Look, I, before we move on to the next stage of life here, to the adult child, I do want to say this, that on behalf of Becky, I see Becky in the back, our children's minister, Bill and Ryan work with middle school, I work with high school. Man, it, I was reminded of this recently. It is a privilege to be at a church like at CFC where we have, I think we have a lot of students who are spirit-filled, who may not do things perfectly, but they love the word and they want to be taught the word. And that's put on display at power-up clubs, but not only power-up clubs. Man, what a privilege it is to be at a church that have so many students that are spirit-filled. I think that's a result of what you're doing at home. So parents, man, hey, praise the Lord. Man, well done. Now, what happens when the spirit-filled, dependent child goes from high school, college, to begin to move out, and they're on their own? What does it look like? In other words, what happens when a spirit-filled child moves from dependent on parents to being independent? Is obedience still required? Are you still obligated to obey? So what does that look like? I mean, we just heard last week that marriage is the most important relationship. So, so how, do you, how do you love your wife as Christ loved the church, and yet am I supposed to, still supposed to, in my 30s, obey my mom? Like, what does this look like? All right, look at verse 2. The Bible helps us here. Do you see the, the, the shift here? Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So for the adult child, if, 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 the adult, if the word for the dependent child is, is obedience, when one becomes an adult child, what's the one word? Honor. You can go to write this down. This spirit-filled adult child honors his parents. So now I'm, I'm, we're progressing in this message to someone who's in the stage of life like I am. I'm an adult child uh, with parents. So, so <laughs> what, is it, what does this look like? When, when obey becomes honor, when you move from being dependent to, to, uh, to being independent. Obviously, to honor, by definition, is to treat with respect. I think it's helpful here, context, that when Paul is quoting from, um, in Ephesians 6, he's quoting from Exodus, one of the Ten Commandments. And there, we see in Exodus that after the people were set free from slavery, the Israelites, and they're led across the Red Sea, and they complain, and yet God provides food and water. God also provides the Ten Commandments, a way of life, a culture, and way he, the way in which he, he intended life to, to be lived. And so he gives the commandments there at Mount Sinai, you shall have no other gods before me, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain keep the Sabbath, and then he gets to the fifth commandment, and he says, honor your, your father and mother. And I've always heard that it's like, it was maybe like a little kid sermon, where he's talking to adults, hey, he says, keep the Sabbath, and then he transitions and just pulls all the little kids forward and says, hey, now you honor your father and your mother. 
I think he has young kids in mind, but he is speaking also to adults. And so he says, honor your father and your mother. So as we look here at Ephesians 6, I think Paul's instruction, obviously in verse 1, is to children. He has children in mind who are under the authority of their parents. But I think this instruction is rooted in a principle, a truth, honor your father and your mother, which applies to all of us. That's what I want to do now. I want to try to apply this to every person in the room, no matter what your stage or age of life is. And so the dependent child honors their parents in obedience. But how do you honor when you become an adult child? Like, what does this actually look like? As I've thought through this, I think that honor starts where it starts for the dependent child. For the dependent child to obey, they have to first listen, but they're listening so they might, so they might know how to obey, right? For someone like me, the adult child honors by listening, but not listening to obey because they're not under their authority, but they're listening to learn from their parents, inviting their parents to speak into their life. Where do we see this in scripture? Well, generally, there's a lot of great truths to go to here in Proverbs. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And so practically, what does this look like? For the adult child to say, hey, dad or mom, I recognize what scripture says, that it's inevitable that every person is gonna make decisions. Whether it's parenting, marriage, whatever it is, finances, buying a home, buying a car, decisions are gonna be made. And for the adult child to go to their parents and to say, hey, it says that there's wisdom in Scripture by having many counselors in, in decision-making. Hey, Dad, uh, according to Scripture, I, I would love for you to be one of the people that's speaking in my life. I know I'm not under your authority anymore. I know we live in different houses, and we may live in different states or cities. But, Dad, when I make decisions, I, I, want, you to, I want you to help me uh, make those decisions. You may say take a 20-year mortgage. I may take a 30-year mortgage. You may say, don't spank your children. I may still spank my children. We may disagree on some things, but even in those moments, I can, I can learn from you. And so, Dad, I choose to honor you by, by allowing you to speak into my life. And I think when the adult child does this, they honor. Because think about it. When you're asked your input, don't you feel honored? Oh, wow, they asked me what I think? So that's, I, I think that's really a way to honor. I think for, for the adult child as they think about their parents, the parents don't want to insert themselves, but they are waiting and they would love to be asked. And so practically speaking, or like a real life scenario of this, I remember uh, just a few months ago, my dad came uh, to visit uh, us here in Jacksonville. And I took him to, uh, to the backyard. We were in our playroom and I was like, dad, I can't figure this out. I'm looking at the, uh, our backyard and the grass, which was green, is now brown. And I was like, I don't know what, what happened. I was like, dad, what do you think? And within 30 seconds, my dad said, son, you got chinch bugs. And I didn't really believe him at first. And then he walked into my kitchen. I didn't know what he was doing. He grabbed a cup of water with some dish soap, walked back out to the front yard, got on his knees, poured it out, and then put his, his hands in the grass. And then he pulled out and he showed me a bug. And he said, see, that's a chinch bug. And at first I didn't really, I was like, ah, I don't know if I really believed him. I had never heard of a chinch bug before. So I took a picture of it, sent it to Bill Winton, who's our middle school pastor, but also does landscaping. And within minutes, Bill says, yeah, you have chinch bugs. And so I was like, okay, maybe my dad is right. And of course he's right because he's done landscaping for so many years. So I should get input from him and listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. 
but not just on matters of landscaping because that's important, but on much more significant uh, areas of life. I want my dad to speak into my life, like with my marriage. Like I recognize that I don't ask him all the time, but when I have asked him, I want, I want to ask him because I recognize there's, there's things I can learn from him. Because when my dad speaks to me, my dad speaks out of brokenness, out of some hard things that have happened because as I got older in life, my parents got divorced. And so I remember when Alice and I first got married and those first few years of living in North Carolina, when my dad says to me, hey, based upon past experience, listen to Allison, love Allison, love her. Man, he has my attention and I wanna, I wanna learn from him. And I think in doing that, I honor him. I think another way to honor is by inviting Inviting your parents, um, obviously to speak into your life, but inviting them over for, for dinners, for birthday parties, for not making them invite themselves or putting them in that situations, but including them uh, in, in different events that's going on in the family. I think they, you honor there. I think honor is also shown in communicating. And communicating with them by, by text, by phone call, by writing letters. As one person reminded me recently, um, your parents want to hear from you and they wanna know how you're doing. They wanna know how the, how the grandkids are doing. They may care more about that, uh, about the grandkids, but that's all right. They, they, they wanna they want be involved. And I think as we get to the holidays, man, this is a great time to, to maybe reach out to a parent that you haven't talked to in a while. And I know this may be sensitive for some, but maybe you're in this room and you're like, honor your father and your mother. I'm an adult. I'm married. I don't even talk to my parents anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Maybe something in the past happened. Maybe you go, man, my dad is not even honorable because he left when we were young. Why, why would I honor him? And I know that that's a hard situation. There's a lot of different scenarios out there, but I think that ultimately for the adult child, honoring is ultimately unto the Lord. It's a great way to bring God glory even in the case of deep past hurt or, or wounds. And again, I think as we prepare for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, if you have a parent that you have not talked to in a while, I would just simply ask you, what caused the disconnect? And maybe it's nothing deep from the past, but just life's gotten busy and you don't talk anymore. Whether it's by text or, or by a phone call or writing them a letter, reach out to your parents. I think in communicating to them, that is a great way to honor them. You may not invite them over for Thanksgiving or Christmas. may be difficult to do that, but I think there's a way to honor them by, by communicating to them. All right. So, adult child, I honor, as we said a second ago, by, by listening. I want, I want to learn from my dad. That's what I said just a second ago. But what happens... In the case, like with my dad, he's 66. He's still, he's still pretty young, right? 66 is young. What happens when he's not able to give advice as clearly? What happens when he loses his memory, he's not able to think as well? What happens when he can't drive? So, so what happens when I move from the stage of an adult child to now I'm at a stage of I'm an adult child, but now... My parents are not independent. Now I'm an adult child of dependent parents. What does honor look like there? Does scripture provide any clarity for us? I think it does in 1 Timothy. So uh, look here, one word, it's in 1 Timothy 5, 8. Check this out. 
But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you see this? For the adult child who moves into maybe the hardest, most sacrificial stage of life is now you're at, you're at a stage where your parents are dependent upon you. The word moves from spirit-filled adult child provides for his dependent parents. And that's not like what just our church is saying. Our church is trying to be clear on what scripture is making clear that for the adult child with the dependent parents, this is your biblical responsibility. We see that in verse eight to not do so is to be worse than an unbeliever. And so to neglect or to forget, honor's not shown. And so if honor means I provide for them, you think provide mostly financially, but not only financially. I think an example in scripture of one who provided for his dad um, is Joseph. Joseph's one of my favorite guys in scripture. We, our church studied Genesis, we were in Joseph, uh, or looking at the life of Joseph, I think just about this time last year. And you see that in Joseph, uh, in Genesis 45, when Joseph's about to forgive his brothers and he, he's about to say, hey, you meant this for evil, God meant this for, for good, and he reveals himself to his brothers, and they're totally shocked. This is what happens. Genesis 45, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And the midst of his own pain and how he's been mistreated by his brothers, listen to the question that he asked his brothers. And I've always skipped over this. And I was like, well, that's not that big of a deal. But here's the question. He says to them, is my father still alive? Wow, I showed great concern for his dad. The brothers are speechless. So Joseph goes on speaking and he says this to them, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, there I will also provide for you. I'll provide for you. So Joseph, a great example of one who, man, I want to provide for my parents. What does this look like in real life? Outside of scripture, I think an example that comes to mind is, is it within our family, specifically with Allison's parents? So uh, her mom and dad, my mother and father-in-law, uh, were missionaries in Taiwan for about 30 years. And I remember when Alice and I were, were dating in Bible college and we were about to graduate. And one day Allison came to me and she said, hey, my parents are going to leave the mission field and they're coming uh, back, they're moving from Taiwan and they're going to move to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I was like, why Lancaster? And then I was like, are they not going to be missionaries anymore? And when I heard that, I was like, is that okay to do that? Like, why would you just leave the mission field? And then Allison went on to explain to me, well, both their mothers are, are widows and they're by themselves and they're about to move into a retirement community and they're moving back to care for them. And I didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's nice. But then later on, in maybe last years, I realized or heard from them that their decision to do that was driven by scripture. That both my mother and father-in-law on separate occasions in their time with the Lord, they read the verse that we read a second ago. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. And convicted and driven by that scripture, right, to submit to the word, they want to, to, to be obedient, so they leave the mission field to care for their mothers. And I asked my mother-in-law this past week, and she said it was, it was one of the hardest moves that they made. 
but yet it was the right thing to do because they want to provide for their, for their dependent parents. Now you may go, okay, this is hard. Are we saying that to provide you have to move or they have to move in with you? I think not in all, case, all cases, but what is clear in scripture is that there is a biblical responsibility to provide for your dependent parents. I think an example that I've been encouraged by that I want to read to you um, by, by someone who attends here, who I, who I look up to, a super solid person, uh, who is seeking to care for their, uh, for their mother in some practical ways. And I just want to read to you part of what they wrote. And uh, before I read this, when I ask this person to, to share or, or to write some things down, with gladness, they responded. Like within five minutes, they're like, sure. Uh, which to me communicated they enjoy caring for their parents or for her mother. So she says, I call her throughout the day and visit her almost every day. I don't, want her, I don't want her to feel alone in memory care. And she forgets that I've called, so I continue to call her throughout the day so she feels loved. And I visit often so she feels my presence. She goes on to say that family has always been very important to mom. And then she goes on to say that if she's having a really good day, I'll pick her up from her memory care in between her medicine cycles and I'll take her out to eat for lunch. She said that, um, I try to make sure she has her favorite snacks or flowers for her room. I bring her, her favorite ice cream from Wits. I paint her nails. Before she went into memory care, I would help, fi- help her file paperwork at home, make appointments, and run her errands and take her um, anywhere she wanted to go. And then she sent me also another text that I thought was encouraging. She says, um, it takes sacrificial love to do this. It takes sacrificial sacrifice of your own time, mental space, resources, expectations, and hopes. But and what, what, this person points us to Jesus. So good. But as just as Jesus laid down his life for us, we are to lay down all things so that we can love others sacrificially. Our sacrificial love for others is a response of worship and praise to Jesus, who so beautifully demonstrated this for us. He loved the outsiders, touched the disease and sick, and, and dined with tax collectors and sinners. And we love because he first loved us. Man, so encouraging. One in this body who's seeking to provide for their mother in, in a variety of ways. So how, what does this look like for the adult child with dependent parents? So providing financially, providing care in a variety of ways, visiting, helping with appointments and transportation. Another person here at CFC shared with me that they sought to provide care in a obviously, in addition financially, by showing a photo album. And I thought this was so, so, so practical and yet so helpful. They, they said to me, I would pull out the, the photo album with my mom to engage their memory, to remind them of things. Is that not practical and helpful? They would go traveling uh, with their mother, take them out to dinner, listening, visiting, Another person here at CFC said, I I provide care for my mom by grabbing her Bible and then reading verses that that they highlighted. And isn't that, that's that's a practical way to provide care. You can remind them of their favorite hymn or, or, or maybe they don't have a favorite hymn or one doesn't come to mind, but you can remind them of the great high priest whose name is love. And then as they talk to you and they're like, man, I just feel so, your, your mother, father's, I, I just have fallen into despair. I feel so down and they feel locked into this, 
this retirement community, you can say, you can remind them that when Satan tempts me to despair and he tells me of the guilt within, upward we look and we see him there who made an end to all our sin. Hey, mom and dad, because a sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. You can remind them um, uh, so many hymns. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, that thou, I don't know the rest of the line. I forgot I would say it. I'm not, not as familiar with that hymn. But I do know this hymn. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Hey, mom and dad, I love to tell the story. Why? Because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else will do. And so as you sit there and think about your time with your parents around the holidays, it's a great time to to, to remind them of hymns. If you don't sing them, you can just say them to them. And I think that'd be a great encouragement. Now, you may be here and you may go, okay, Jonathan, thanks Uh, thanks for the message. This has been great, very encouraging. Um, Thanks for reminding us about honor your father and your mother. Um, But my parents have already passed away. I can't honor them. I wish I would have, but I, but I can't. I think that when I look at Ephesians 6, I don't think honoring stops. I think honoring continues. That even when a spirit-filled adult child loses a parent, he continues to honor them by, by speaking well of the parent. And obviously this can happen at a funeral, but it's not limited to a funeral. So I watched a friend just this past week at his mother's funeral just honor her so well by telling everybody that it was his mom that led him to the gospel that said that salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. She was honored. But honoring a parent who's passed away is not limited to a funeral. There's ways you can do this once or twice a year at their birthday or around a holiday is to remind your kids of uh, the impact that your parent had on uh, that your parent had on, on on you. So we looked at three stages here: dependent child, the adult child, and then the adult child with dependent parents. And I think that, as hard as it is, as you seek to honor in each of those stages, I think there's a great promise here. Verse three: so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So, so two things, it will go well with you, may go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And I've wrestled through this, I thought, does this mean that I'm gonna live a longer life? Like you, you honor, you get an extra 10 or 15 years? It could be the case, I don't think that's always the case. In short here, I think the promise for those who honor is not a longer life, but a full life. What does this look like in real life? Well, to go back to my mother and father-in-law who I mentioned earlier, when they left Taiwan and came to Lancaster, they, it was hard because they thought they were leaving the mission field. And a burden in their heart for years had been, I want to share the gospel with people who never heard. But as they've sought to provide care for their mothers in the last several years, God has brought the nations to them. And that now they get to be a part of a ministry in Lancaster to refugees. And so it's just been a blessing how they are living a a full life, a life of joy, and they're enjoying God's blessing. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I see the promise for those who honor, but you've recognized maybe at some point in this message that you haven't done this. 
that for a variety of reasons, you have maybe been convicted this morning and you recognize, yeah, I don't honor well. I fail. I've, I've, I've turned this to the side. I, this is hard for me. I think there's great, there's great hope for you. There's always hope, in fact, when we look to the gospel. Then we look to Jesus that is at 12 years old, we see him obey his parents perfectly. In fact, throughout the life of Jesus, where we fail, Jesus obeys perfectly. And then I look at John 19, where at the cross, Jesus is facing, right, uh, severe pain. He's being brutally, nails, feet in his cross, mocked, spit on, and yet Jesus looks to John and, and he says, hey, take care of my mom. And, and we see Jesus showing honor there. And for those of us who have failed, there's great hope when we look to Jesus. And that through his death, his resurrection, that we who once were dead in our sin have been made alive. And that there is a command in Ephesians 6 here, that regardless of your stage, you are to honor your father and your mother. So that's a high standard that scripture calls us to. But remember that that command comes after the benefits of the gospel, that we've been in Ephesians for a long time now. And that you see in Ephesians 1, that for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we're blessed abundantly. We're chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, sealed. We're an heir. There's all these great benefits that come. But those benefits are intended to motivate us to love others well. As we think about how we're loved perfectly and the fact that, man, I have to honor my, my father and mother. This is hard. And you try to do it and you fail again and again. Well, then you're reminded in Ephesians 3 that you're strengthened supernaturally. Strengthened supernaturally to be a minister. A minister where? In this case, to your parents. So yes, a high standard, but man, I think it comes after a reminder of what God has done for us. Well, I'm gonna have Matt come up and do a song. And I think if you, you got one of these when you came in, and if you don't, you can raise your hand. I think the ushers will pass them out. with the word honor on it. And there, as we prepare to sing this psalm, I'm just gonna give you a moment to pause and reflect on what have you appreciated about your mother or father or both of them. And what is a memory that you could write down in the case that they have passed, that maybe this Thanksgiving you can share that with the family. As, as you gather around and before you pray, hey, I just want y'all to remember so-and-so. Or if they're still alive, you can write down what you appreciated about them and then share that with them, either Thursday or before Thursday. And so I haven't written it down yet, but what basically what I would write down, um, what I've appreciated about my dad in a sentence, and then there's a story behind it. The sentence is basically this, that growing up in Winter Park, my dad taught me that life isn't found in money or stuff, but ultimately life is found in Jesus. That, that's kind of what he taught me. The story behind that is that we grew up in Winter Park and it just seemed like everybody around us we were really successful. And our family, we grew up in a little house, uh, one bathroom, six boys, it was crazy. And I just thought that everybody who had money seemed to be happy. And so I would always brag to my dad that one day I was gonna drive a black Range Rover, I was gonna live in a million dollar house in old Winter Park on the brick roads. And my dad never said those things were wrong, like he never like made fun of me for saying that. But he just would, would remind me constantly, like, Jonathan, life's not found in those things. Life is found in Jesus. 
but I never really took him serious because I didn't come to know the Lord until uh, much later in life. And I was reminded of what my dad taught me uh, or said to me because just a few weeks ago, Allison and I got away for the weekend and we went to Winter Park where I grew up. And Allison and I are sitting on this bench just watching people and all these memories are coming back. And I'm, I'm watching people drive around in their BMWs and their Mercedes. And it was easy for me just to look and go, man, everybody here seems so happy. Like it's just such a nice area and everybody has all these nice clothes and this nice stuff. And it was easy for me to equate their happiness to what they had. They're happy because of the material things that they have. And I was sitting on this bench, I just started smiling and almost crying, but I didn't cry. But I was reminded, man, no, my dad told me as he drove around in his 1984 uh, Volkswagen van again with no AC, he would tell me with a smile, hey, life isn't found in those things. Life's found in Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the times that my dad would sing to me. Like he would sing this song to us. Um, we can see that God, you're moving a mighty river through the nations when young and old will turn to Jesus. And uh, man, there, there's things that I don't understand about my growing up, some hard things. But here's one thing I do know to be true, that God, this is fundamentally true. God used my dad to teach me songs. And as a result, I love to sing with Lydia and Chloe and Asher. And I think that's been a result of, of, of what my dad has taught me. I'm grateful for that. And I wanna tell him that on Thursday. So um, I don't know what memory you have or what you wanna share, but we're gonna sing a song in just a second um, that just speaks to let, let our words be honoring to our parents. And so as you think about what words you might say, go ahead and take a moment to, uh, to write those down.
going to invite you to stand with me. I'm just going to declare that again. This will be our prayer as we close today. As we honor our parents, we honor the Lord. And we bring glory to Him. So this is our prayer that that would be the case. So that my life bring glory, glory to together. Lord, would you bring to mind how we can honor those you have given us as earthly parents? Whether that's uh, easy or hard, Lord, we trust you to bring to mind ways that we can do that. And we do so because we honor you. As we honor them, we are honoring you. Lord, friend, for those of us who are parents, just like a spirit-filled wife or spirit-filled husband can make it easier for the other, would us as parents honor you in the way that we lead, make it easier for our kids to honor us. And in so, honoring you, Lord. We just trust you and we thank you. We give you our days. We give you our, our minutes. They're all yours. In your name, amen. Really glad you're here. Hope you're gonna join us. Again, on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock right here in the South Auditorium. Remember, if we can pray for you, we've got men and women available uh, between the auditoriums. God bless. See you Tuesday.